0: Welcome, welcome, welcome to the podcast of Community Bible Church, serving the Rogue Valley from Central Point, Oregon. We are a multi-generational family, equipping believers to be adopted
1: in, growing up,
0: and reaching out through the gospel. Well, good morning. Uh, Would you all take a moment and stand with me as we read Ephesians 6, 10 to 20?
1: Good morning. Thank you, Peter. For those of you that don't know me, I'm Dale Bitterling. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, and I wasn't going to mention this, but it came up several times by several people that remembered when I last preached. It's been several years, and I had at least three, po- three people ask me, are you going to finish early today? And the, <laughs> I, I thought that reputation had passed me, but apparently it didn't. Um, I was hoping they would ask it with a little bit of disappointment, and they didn't. (laughs) So here's what's going to happen. I'm going to preach until I'm done. (laughs) Then there's a good chance we'll finish early. (laughs) So I get to talk to you about the transition now that Pastor Pete and Kathy have retired. Um, Him and Kathy, Pete and Kathy, have left this morning. They're going to do some traveling, and we look forward to their return in the near future, they're going to come back, and they're going to assume a new role with us here in the CBC family, and we are excited about that. But many people have asked, where are we in terms of installing a new senior pastor to take over where Pete has left off? And as most of you know, the elders have unanimously asked Pastor Kevin to candidate to be our next senior pastor, which you... It's It's okay. If you'd have booed, I'd have just had to walk off the stage. <laughs> <laughs> what you may not know is this whole process that we've been going through talking about peach retirement and the installation of Kevin has taken almost two years. Uh, most of that's happened uh, in, in the elder meetings and in conversations, but we've been at this for a while. So the elders have been talking and praying and weighing a lot of options. Uh, they've sought outside counsel and they've sought many other things. And, they, and all of this seemed to point to Kevin as the man we firmly believe that God has called to this position. The two things I want uh, to cover this morning are to let you know the next steps that we as a church are gonna go through in this process of installing Kevin or whoever as the senior pastor. But more importantly, I wanna talk about why we're even here in the first place. Why you and me are here. So when we walk out of here this morning, I want us to be real clear on um, the importance of each and every one of us, each and every individual in this room, as part of the Community Bible Church family. And I'll use that word a lot this morning. And please, as we've used that word a ton over the years, don't let the word family fade into the background. It's important. For some of you this morning, the message um, is going to be encouraging. For others of you, prayerfully, it's going to be challenging. And for that, I look forward to. So let's talk about the process of candidating Pastor Kevin. By the way, I could have used these slides. (laughs) Facial hair. Okay. Okay. But I didn't. I used this slide because I, I don't want to be disrespectful. I care about Kevin a lot, and I want, to, I want you to see him in the best light. <laughs> Ten bucks, says the next time he's up, you get to see a picture of me with my mullet. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, the process of replacing a senior pastor is something a church would normally take a long time to do. Sometimes it takes years, and, and we, we think about the two years that we've put into this process, Um, But we would have started the process of the the candidating much earlier, but we as as Community Bible Church are in a very unique position. Three things have made this unique. One, Pastor Pete had just retired after spending just over 27 years here. Um, So when when we're looking at a pastor retiring, we wanted to make sure we took the time to honor and, and, and respect and thank Pete and Kathy for all that they've done. But they made it a wee bit difficult because they kept saying, it isn't about us, it's about the Lord. It's about the Word. And we're going, yes, that that is the preeminent, most important thing. But we do as your family want to thank you for what you've done. Secondly, Pete and Kathy aren't leaving. They're just changing roles. That's, That's very unique in many churches. And from what I've talked to people, this is the only church I've ever gone to for my life, believe it or not. But from many people I've talked to, that's a very, very, very rare thing that a pastor sticks around. Okay? That isn't a first for us, though. Just over a year ago, Pastor Spencer stepped down from his position at Youth Pastor, and him and McKenzie slid into a new role, and they've been very, very active in that new role. And So now we're about to have two pastors in that position. By the way, uh, much of what we did last weekend, all the celebrations, Spencer and McKenzie took a very active role in that. There were others as well, but we want to thank them for their hard work and all that they did in that. The third thing that makes this transition as we look to the the candidating of Pastor Kevin is he's been with us on staff for almost 12 years now. He's coming up on his 12th anniversary in August. So we know him. We love him. We trust him. um, But more importantly, we've seen God work through him and Janelle right here in our church family. He is family. Amen. Many of you have also heard that it was actually Pastor Pete who talked Kevin out when he was in college from going into teaching as a math teacher. He talked to him and change your possession, become a pastor. For those of you that don't know, he also did the same thing to me. I was a school teacher, and he asked me, hey, we'd like you to quit your job and become our youth pastor, um, coming up on 22 years ago now. So we learned from that one, one of two things. Either Pastor Pete hates teachers... <laughs> um, or he really looks for something correct in the guy. And I don't know about me, but I know when we looked at Pastor Kevin, I think he saw something that we value and will cherish. But the elders didn't want to just assume Kevin was the guy to step into the senior pastor position. Um, It looked like an easy transition. It looked like it just made sense. But they wanted to bathe it in prayer because they wanted to make sure it was the best thing for CBC, not the easy thing for CBC. CBC. It wasn't a question of whether Kevin could do this job. It was a question of whether or not God wanted him to do this job. The elders spent a lot of time in prayer, a lot of time uh, looking at various things, looking at what we want to be as a church moving forward. Um, And and to be quite honest, they, they knew they were running the risk of potentially hurting Kevin's feelings by saying, we're going to go a different direction. To Kevin's credit, he recognized this. So he actually said, you need to go through that process before I'll even ask to be considered for the position. Figure out what you want. If it looks like I might be that guy, then we'll talk about me in that position. But you as a church, figure out what you want first. So repeatedly, the elders asked the Lord to show us who he wants, and the team repeatedly and unanimously kept coming to the conclusion that Pastor Kevin's the guy that we wish to call to that position to lead CBC into the future. But now we need you to become part of that process. We worked hard, and this is something that, that you need to understand, we worked hard to separate Pastor Kevin's candidacy from Pastor Pete's retirement because we recognize when Pastor Pete retires, there'll be a little bit of sadness that goes with that. There'll be a little bit of mourning that goes with that. We also want, with Kevin's candidacy we want that to be a time of celebration and joy and excitement and if you shove the two together too closely it looks like you're excited that pastor Pete's leaving or it looks like you're sad that pastor Kevin's taking the job so we separated the two but we didn't separate them by much it's only going to be a couple weeks but again now we want to give you a pop opportunity to be part of that process okay I want to make sure I'm hitting all the right things Let's get to the, the point. Two weeks from now, next weekend is Mother's Day. We'll celebrate moms. Pastor Kevin will be up here doing that. But in two weeks, on May 21st, we're going to have an opportunity. He's going to come up, um, and he's going to preach both services, and then we're going to come back at 5 o'clock in the evening. And we encourage all of, every one of you here to be here for that because it's important for you to be part of that process. If you look at it and say, hey, this is a no-brainer, you're making a mistake because you're important to the process. So we're inviting you to come back at five o'clock that Sunday evening uh, where we'll have a time of Kevin will present his vision to the church. We'll be in the gym. He'll say, hey, this is where I look like my leadership will take us. This is where I think we will be going. These are the things that I get excited about. These are the things that I will probably emphasize differently than Pete. These are the things um, that I think that we need to, as we look at this weird world we're moving into, that we need to shore up. Okay. Okay. Following that, uh, there'll be a chance for question and answers for you guys to say, hey, Kevin, can you explain the hyperstatic union to me so I can explain it to a three-year-old? Things like that. Um, (laughs) You get to ask him those questions you want. Hey, can you tell me about this? Or what do you see about that? Or how do you view this? Uh, One thing I like about Kevin, if he doesn't know, he'll tell you. I don't know. This is, it's not just my job to figure that out. He he views the team. The elders following that time will have what we call a, 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 a final vote to call him. If they choose to, which I would be shocked if they didn't, they will come back and say, yes, we want to officially offer Kevin to this position. From there, it will go out to you guys um, into what we call an online affirmation vote. And people get confused about this. If we're just affirming the vote of the elders, aren't we just rubber stamping what the elders did? And the answer is, no, you're not. Uh, The elders, we are an elder-run church, so it's the elders who will officially call the, the next senior pastor, God willing, Kevin, but we do care about your input. So we ask that you guys go and say, yes, I agree with the decision of the elders, or no, I don't agree with the decision of the elders. That provides the elders' information to look at and say, okay, we can do something with that. Um, If all that goes as we anticipate, we get the affirmation vote the following Sunday, which will be May 28th, the uh, weekend of Memorial Day weekend. We'll have a single service, one service sunday in here at 10 o'clock that always confuses people when we do that Um, so mark it down now we'll have that single service in here then we'll have a picnic following and we usually do that in honor of memorial day weekend which we will but we also hope to turn that into a time of celebration of official calling and bringing kevin on as our senior pastor everybody got that that's our that's the role if you have any questions catch me when we're done and we'll go into that i originally planned to go back and look at those pictures of kevin again but let's not Today, I want to go into the second most important reason I'm up here today. I want to talk about why we're all in this room in the first place. I want to talk about the importance of each and every one of us, you and me, as the family of Community Bible Church. What Peter read to us was a passage out of Ephesians chapter 6 about putting on the full armor of God. Now, I've been doing this for a long time. In one capacity or another, I've been teaching for over 30 years, and here's what I've learned. Some of you missed that passage because it was too many words, and it just flew right past you, okay? Some of you have heard it a million times, so you just kind of tuned it out and wait till Peter got finished. Um, but what I want to do is take a chance to kind of look at why did we go over that passage, so what does all of that, the full armor of God, have to do with you and me and Community Bible Church and Pastor Kevin, assuming the position of Senior Pastor? As we move forward, we're going to hear a lot of sermons. We'll have messages, devotionals, and other fantastic teachings. But we need to embrace um, as we look to the future is the spiritual battle that we're actually in. Each and every single one of us has been called to step up into this spiritual battle, and that's what we'll talk about this morning. That means you, and that means me, and that means the person sitting next to you. If called and affirmed, Kevin will take Pastor Pete's place uh, at the point person to lead us in that battle, and it's important for us to understand, understand what that means for him. So let's look at that for a few moments. In the New Testament, we run across a man named Timothy. He was a young pastor, and he was a protege of Paul, somebody Paul cared about deeply. And we have a couple of letters Paul wrote to Timothy as Timothy became a pastor of a church, and that's what we call 1 and 2 Timothy in our New Testament. And he wrote to him about his pastorship and the things he needed to remember and the things he needed to do and the fights that he was going to have to struggle with. And Paul gives him some very strong charges, some very strong commands. And I think these have to apply to our senior pastor as well. So let me share some of those with you. In 2 Timothy chapter 4... He's given, uh, Timothy's given this charge, but I want to add Kevin's name to that. I want us to look at this in light of Kevin to see if this is the charge Kevin's been given. So it would say, Kevin, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, Kevin, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardships. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge the duties of your ministry. Thank you. That means our senior pastor is not just called to, pre- to preach, but he's here to present us the truth of the Word of God. Amen? Even if we don't want to hear it. It warns him that people are rebellious. I know I can be rebellious. And I would rather him preach what I want to hear. But it tells him not to do that. He said, you need to preach what they need to hear. Now, this can be tough for a senior pastor, and it can put him in some difficult, and to be quite frank, some very lonely places. Kevin will be charged to rightly teach the Word of God, knowing there will be a lot of us that simply at times don't want to hear it. But that's the man we need to shepherd our church family. But blessedly, he isn't called to do this alone. He's called to surround himself with good people. 2 Timothy chapter 2 says this, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach. At CBC, we have two teams of men. We have our elders and our deacons. These these men are selected by you guys through a vote, Um, based on some very specific biblical traits. I won't go into those, but they're very defined roles. They're very defined character qualities that we look for in these men, and we ask you guys to very carefully pick these guys. They are not called to just govern and administrate the church's affairs. Um, They are called to shepherd God's flock. That's us. We've selected a group of people, and Kevin will be partnered with them to shepherd us. But this calling isn't symbolic, and I want to be very clear on this. This, this. The Bible tells them that they will be held accountable by God for how they shepherd and lead this church. Hebrews chapter 13 tells us this. It tells the people of Community Bible, that's us, tells us this. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give account. Who do they give account to? They give account to God. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. So let's be clear. This is an important and profound duty and responsibility held by these men, and especially for the man we identify as our senior pastor, the head shepherd. So what's our role? I could simply tell you to just not make this difficult for them, but it's so much more than that. This morning I want us to recognize that we are called to that battle and our role is significant. Again, that isn't a generic statement. The role of the elders and deacons is so significant, but so is your and my role. The role of you as the church family and your individual role within it, you personally have to recognize that you are significant. But how do we approach this? This is always interesting. Now, I love sports. Anybody else love sports? Good. It goes badly when you say something. They go, no. Okay. I love sports, and I love successful sports programs because many of the same principles called upon to have a successful sports program are also used in battle, but we'll talk through sports. The first thing any successful coach or general does is gather information or intelligence on their opponent or their foe. People often, people often underestimate the importance of this, and it's one of the things I love to do when I'm preparing to teach any biblical principle. I always ask myself, if I I can, if this is important for God's people to do or know, how is Satan going to attack it? So here's the first thing we have to really and deeply understand. If we as the people who make up Community Bible Church and the Community Bible Church family are going to endeavor to do the work God has called us to, Satan will go on the attack. So what do we do about that? What do we do when Satan attacks us? there's an old adage in sports that says offense wins games but defense wins championships have you heard that i'm a pittsburgh steeler fan and we know that's the only reason they win championships (laughs) so if we're going to win this we have to understand our individual roles and our corporate responsibility to defend ourselves against satan's attacks so what is what is going to be that attack The first thing we have to do is figure out exactly what is Satan's battle plan. What is he going to try to do against us? Unfortunately, trying to figure it out isn't difficult because God wrote it down for us. But listen to this closely. The most destructive thing Satan can do to a believer is to make them ineffective. And the way he goes about that, it's clever and it's sneaky and it's subtle because he isn't going to hit us with a frontal assault. He's going to try to divide us. The number one thing Satan will do is try to divide the family. There's an ancient saying, and it's most famously quoted in the United States by Patrick Henry, but it goes way before that. And It says, united we stand, divided we fall. Jesus expresses this understanding in his teachings. He wrote it, in a, he said it in a couple of places. In Mark chapter 3, he said, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. He's using it in a different context, but the principle is still the same. So please, 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 please understand this. Satan's going to do all he can to divide us. So how does he do this? Let's look at some of what Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. And just so you know, in September, we're going to go uh, deeply through the book of Ephesus. So I'm going to just hit some of the highlights of it here. Ephesus chapter 4. And again, what we're looking for in here is what's Satan's battle plan to divide us. He says, that, not a, that, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught regard, with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitudes of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Listen to this. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Let's look at that list and pay close attention. Bitter. Bitter angry likes to argue and fight likes to talk bad about others likes to gossip likes to do things that they intentionally know will cause a little bit of harm now i'm going to argue these are the primary traits of a person satan has gotten a hold of it's not that i'm brilliant the passage went ahead and said that says in doing these things you give satan a foothold but by doing these at least two people in our church family get hurt They get divided out of the family, they get isolated. The person who possesses those traits and the person or the people they attack. And let's be honest, many of us have seen these things um, in real life. We've seen the hurt and pain those kind of behaviors can, uh, uh, can cause. We've seen the isolation and the shutting down of people that those things do. And what happens? It leads to more bitterness, it leads to more anger, it leads to more rage, and the next thing we know in a church family, we have an epidemic on our hands. Second Corinthians chapter five, um, and I won't read it, but I'll tell you what it says. It says we're Christ's ambassadors. It tells us we are the ambassadors of Christ. We are His representatives to our families, and our workplaces, and our schools, and our communities, and everywhere we go, we are Christ's representatives on earth. Uh, on earth, as though God was making His appeal through us. But how do we do that if we're full of venom? Of bitterness and rage and anger and use our mouths inappropriately. How do we do that if we're combative with each other? How can we expect others in our church family to stand up to Satan if we're the ones attacking them? Again, Satan's a master of his craft, and if we let these things creep in, sometimes we don't just feel like we're okay doing it, we actually feel justified and righteous doing it. But make no mistake, when we as God's people let these things warm their way into our lives, into our church family, we're not just making Satan's job easy for him, we're doing Satan's job for him. And again, think about it. How many, have been, how many of us have been sidelined when we felt we have been unfairly and unnecessarily attacked by somebody in our church family? We knew somebody was talking about us or somebody said something about it. And if I'm to be honest... I could tell you there are times where I'm just as guilty of that as well. Well, that was was kind of a downer, so let's move forward. (laughs) Because I'm excited about the future of CBC. We're about to turn a new chapter, which brings new challenges and new opportunities and new possibilities. We're going to see some changes. That's inevitable. They won't be huge in significance, but I'm excited about what the new leadership will bring. But if we're to move forward together, and we have to put on our full armor of God and be ready to defend ourselves and our church family from those those things that will erode us from within, then we have to do it together, amen? The last item in the armor of God passage that Peter read, and again, thank you for reading that, it said, it talks about the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So if you process that, the sword of the spirit, you recognize the sword is primarily an offensive weapon. You take it to charge. You take it to go on the offensive. It's telling us that defense, is, uh, that defense is important and we must defend ourselves. But if we only play defense, we've become paralyzed and we've stalled. Okay, We're only taking care of ourselves. We become self-focused and self-centered and self-preserving if we only play defense. We become weak and we become ineffective to the work God has called us to. Remember, God has called you individually to a job. You have a role. You're his ambassador. You're his representative. You're His soldier. You can't just focus on taking care of you. Second Timothy chapter 1 tells us, and I'll read it, tells us He saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of His own purpose and grace. That grace was given to us before the beginning of time. So again, notice that, His own purpose. You were saved for a purpose. And not just to see you get to heaven, which is the huge blessing does, but he has a job for you. He's called you to a purpose. So once we've shored up our defenses and made sure we're not doing Satan's job for him, we have to go on the offense. We have to get into the battle. God has prepared and called us to. So what does that look like? Again, (laughs) thankfully, God wrote it down for us we looked at that Ephesians passage, and it went through a whole bunch of things of don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, get rid of, get rid of, get rid of. And there's a very short passage at the very end telling us what we have to do. Let's look at that piece, Ephesians 34, 32. It says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. And we could move quickly through that, but I don't want to, because if that's what we're called to do, Satan will want to prevent that. Please note, we are not asked and encouraged to be compassionate, overlooking and forgiving people. We are commanded to. Why? And again, Eric, thank you for the job you did this morning with communion because exactly what we're talking about. Because Christ paid a price for us. He didn't just forgive you. He didn't just forgive me. He paid a price. And I'll be honest, there are times I really struggle to forgive people. And it amazes me what minor offenses I can struggle to forgive especially in light of what Christ had to go through to pay for my forgiveness it's almost embarrassing Colossians chapter 3 states since then you have been raised with Christ listen carefully set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God set your minds on things not on earthly things Now, this isn't going to happen by accident. Chapter 1 gives us a whole list of things to get rid of, to sins, to jettison. But I want to focus on the offensive things this morning, to the do's instead of the don'ts. Chapter um, excuse me, it goes on to state, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, to clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Amen? Just shows me you're awake. <laughs> Let me break that down. We, you and me, are intentionally called to be compassionate and kind and humble and gentle. We are to be patient and forgiving of all grievances. Not most, not the easy ones, all of them. I love the way he words it. We are to put on love every day, like clothing. Like the clothing you pick out every morning. You intentionally say, this is what I need to do today. These are the clothes I'm going to wear. He says, you do the same thing with love. You intentionally put it on every morning. That means we have to figure out, how do we make that happen? How do we intentionally and purposely become loving every day? Not just in feeling, but in deeds. How do we live out our love for each other intentionally every day? We're to be peaceful, and we're to be thankful. And if you take nothing else out of here today, take this. You'll be strong in your faith if you simply focus on being a peacemaker and of being thankful, a person of gratitude. Jesus himself said that, said that on the Sermon of the Mount, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And he says all over the place to be thankful and grateful. I love this part. We're instructed to let the message of Christ dwell among us richly. We have to be a people of the word. We have to not just possess a knowledge of what it says, but we have to understand what it's calling us to do. We have to let it live within us richly. Only then can we teach each other, correct each other, and worship together. And again, note I said, each other, because this is the part I think oftentimes a church falls into. This isn't just the role of the pastors and the elders. We, all of us, have the significant role, and we need to learn from each other. We need to encourage each other. We need to correct and rebuke and cheer each other on and worship together, not from the top down, but as a family. We need you to correct us, and you need us to correct you. I love the fact when it says we're called to worship our God together with gratitude. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I know some of you in here struggle with being grateful. Some of you like to focus, and it's easy. It's just a way of of, a mindset. Because I can go there too, where we focus on what's the next thing I got to fix, what's the next problem I got to solve, what's the next crisis coming up in my life. And he says, I want you to do it with gratitude. Focus on what the Lord has done and is doing. But and by definition. We can't, be great, we can't have gratitude unless we're grateful. So as we move into this next chapter, as we turn this page into CBC's family life, we have to let gratitude to the Lord define who we are. We as a church family have to be grateful. With all this in mind, the next step for each of us is to get involved, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I won't read it to you. I encourage you to go home and look up 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But it talks about the gifts each one of us has been given. And I want you to notice that. Each and every one of us has gifts. And they're wonderful, but they have a purpose. And if you think about a present you've been given, it's great to get the present, but it's useless if you just put it aside. You've been given the present to use. So we have a role and a job to do with our gifts. But let me paraphrase 1 Corinthians 12 for you. You are needed for the health of CBC. You have been uniquely equipped and prepared for some role here, and you need to get in the game. We as your church family need you, and you need to be engaged for us, and you need to be engaged for yourself. It's amazing what the Lord does to you when you're engaged, not just for the blessings on other people. Eddie, we've taken a group of teenagers, Pastor Eddie, um, this summer to England on a missions trip, and they'll focus very strongly on the missions they have over there, but I always get far more excited about what happens to the teenagers when they come back what the Lord did to them, not just what they did to the people while they were there. So remember this, you are important to God, and He has gifted you to be important to us. Let me say that again, you are important to God, and He has gifted you to be important to us. You are valuable, and you are needed. So please don't minimize that, don't reduce that, and don't deny that, and don't disrespect that. It's easy to see the importance and the value of those that come up on stage, and those that teach, and those that sing, and those that do a a variety of what we consider the the big jobs. And and everybody understands why we need teachers. But those who are volunteering to mow our lawns, those who are volunteering to clean our windows, those who stack chairs, those who have been doing the painting. I know how much you love the people who make coffee and who set out the snacks. Those people are just as valuable. Everybody has a role, and they're all valuable, so please understand your role. Recognize your gift and calling, and get engaged, because you are needed, and you are valuable, and you are important. The interesting thing about the verses we just looked up is they have a deep and secondary purpose. If we grasp we are in a spiritual battle, we recognize we will have some of our people who will get wounded. We have many people sitting in here today who are struggling with wounds. We have a responsibility for the care and recovery of those who have been wounded and hurt. Now, the Bible lays out that we have a clear responsibility to widows and orphans, and there are a few others identified, but there are lots of ways that people in our church have been hurt and are, have been wounded, and some very, very deeply. Relationship issues, financial issues, health issues. Some of our people in here, many of our people in here, are suffering. But I want to be honest. The American way for most of our people is to suffer in silence. Don't be a burden. Don't be an imposition on other people. That's exactly what Satan wants. He wants you to stay isolated. And it's interesting to me, and I'll I'll, I'll point the finger, when we do name tag Sundays, like we did all of April so we could get to know each other, how many people are resistant to that? I don't want people to know my name. I don't want people to get to know me any deeper. You have to if you really want to not let Satan do his job and be on the offensive, we have to take the time to get to know and love each other. John 13 says, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. You must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So if everybody asks, How do people really know if I'm a Christian? What's the answer? The way you love your church family the way you love your brothers and sisters, and you let them love you too. You let them love you too. There's a word I like to use. It's intimacy, and it's funny because the word intimacy has has become synonymous with sex, and that isn't what it means. What intimacy means is I've let you get close enough to know the real me, and you can hurt me because I've let you that close. I'm taking a real risk on being vulnerable and letting you hurt me. We have to become intimate with each other. So here's my question. If the world was looking at you, do they know that you're a disciple of Christ? Can they see it in you by the way you love your church family and let them love you? Take that one home. So now that we've celebrated the retirement of Pastor Pete and we prepare for the candidacy of Pastor Kevin, are you ready? Are you ready for your role as we push powerfully and I hope victoriously into the future as the Community Bible Church family? I'm going to finish with my favorite passage, and I've read it up here before, and some of you are probably sick of hearing me say it, but it bears reading again because I think it speaks so powerfully to what we are. I'm going to read from Romans chapter 8. Listen carefully. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up, gave him up for us all, how will he also not excuse me how, how, how will he also not also along with him gracefully give us all things who will bring any charge against those whom god has chosen it is god who justifies who then is the one who condemns no one christ jesus who died more than that who was raised to life is at the right hand of god and is also interceding for us who shall separate us from the love of christ Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who saved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we are so grateful for where we are. We are so grateful for this opportunity to move into the future. Father, we lift up Pastor Kevin and Janelle and the candidacy to you. We lift up uh, Pete and Kathy and their retirement. But Father, we pray for our church family. May we individually recognize our role moving forward. And may we serve you and honor and glorify you and with gratitude, and with thanksgiving, and with love. Father, we praise you this morning, and all God's people said, Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to the podcast of Community Bible Church. Follow us on Facebook to keep up to date with all our latest content.
1: Thank you!